Ocarina of Time was the one that sprung the Legend of Zelda series into a brand new dimension, along with probably being the best game on the market when it first released when looked at objectively. It's the one that established the 3D formula that so many people idolise to this day. Majora's Mask was the spry younger sibling that copies their brother but kind of puts a bit of a weird edge on things, being the second 3D Zelda game and instantly taking out Ganondorf, an unheard of idea in the 3D Zelda space at the time. Wind Waker was the one that had people up in arms about the fact that Zelda needed to be serious and should have a grown-up art style, the one where you traverse a giant sea as large as your mind could comprehend, a true marvel of technology on release. Twilight Princess was the one to feature some of the most compelling characters and dungeon design of the entire series, reusing much of what made Ocarina of Time so good in 1998 and trying to add to the formula in meaningful ways, whilst also being an introduction to many people since it sold so much on the Wii. Skyward Sword is the motion controlled one that is still divisive to this day, the one that has you traversing the skies above for the very first time in a 3D setting, the one that shows you the beginning of everything in the series, despite being set after previous events. Breath of the Wild. While most of you, if not all of you, probably are aware of the impact that Breath of the Wild had, but it evolved the open world formula to a degree that people still refer back to six, nearly seven years later, and spawned games like Elden Ring and, more notably for today, its sequel, Tears of the Kingdom. So what's the through line here? Every pure 3D game in this franchise has had some kind of identity to go with them, something that you can pretty easily put them together with innovation, how divisive they are, etc. In a nutshell today, I want to answer what might Tears of the Kingdom be remembered for, because this can be a problem for the game, and when you put all of those games together, it becomes apparent that this game's legacy might be harder to leave behind. I mean, one of the reasons why some people didn't have quite as much fun with this one as they did with Breath of the Wild, despite conceding that a lot of the aspects are better, is that Breath of the Wild had some wow factor that was lacking with Tears of the Kingdom. So will it be remembered as the beginning of the end of the franchise, or is it the best thing ever? Well, well okay, it's going to take a little more nuance than that, truth be told, but first off, Breath of the Wild's legacy is one of the main reasons why Tears might not have that lasting impact. So let's get an idea of Breath of the Wild's aging process. It's important to note that I'm not really taking story into account here. When I was listing all of those games, I didn't say one had a better story than another because in this conversation, I don't think it means anything. Most of the casual gamers don't remember the Zelda games for a story, as much as I hate to say it. Every Zelda game has a story, and with the exception of a couple games, I don't think they're a defining feature of those games. So yes, Tears of the Kingdom's lore is lackluster, let's be honest, but to the casual, they probably won't remember that aspect of it. Let's get something obvious out of the way. Breath of the Wild is an amazing game, right? There is almost absolutely no world in which it's bad. On a subjective level, some could call it mid or whatever, sure. But terrible would be a big stretch and the only people who usually throw that thing around are people who are being hyperbolic for clicks or are scorned as Zelda fans of old. Once again, some amount of nuance is applied here, but here's where I revert on this positivity and I say that I don't think Breath of the Wild is going to age great. I don't think it'll age poorly, just not great. But many of you probably think that Tears of the Kingdom will age poorly in place of Breath of the Wild because it was the first game that took the open world Ubisoft formula and really did something with an open world since Grand Theft Auto. Those special memories of wandering the era of Wild's Hyrule for the first time will only grow stronger over time, am I right? Plus, I still uphold that Breath of the Wild had more places with a cozy vibe than Tears of the Kingdom because of the world still recovering heavily from the battle 100 years ago. Plus, I'll admit the lore is more consistent and concise than Tears. 
So how could I possibly think that Tears of the Kingdom is going to be the one to age better? I will admit this is just my own take, but I think the game does everything else that hasn't been mentioned better. Dungeons and bosses have the same core formula as the ones from Breath of the Wild, but they're fleshed out, unlike the Divine Beasts. On that same line, bosses, the design is better giving a nice blend of old and new boss design. The final boss is probably the best in the series in my opinion. Shrines are very much subjective, but after playing Breath of the Wild this year, I can happily say that shrines are better for the time being, but that could change with time. Not to mention all of this other stuff that they changed in the overworld, the depths, and skylands. They're debatable in my eyes, but the caves on the surface are one of, if not the best addition in the entire duology in my eyes. Expanding on an idea that was only really found from time to time in Breath of the Wild. As a lot of people were saying around the time of launch, I truly think that Tears of the Kingdom is more of what we loved about Breath of the Wild. So much so that Breath of the Wild became a foundation, and Tears built a skyscraper on top of it with some wobbly building on the way up. So in 15 years, when I'm debating which Zelda game to show my child out of the Kingdom duology for the first time, Will I pick the video game that changed the open world formula and had the better lore, or will I pick the game that I find more fun to play and will give the child a decent view of dungeons in the wider series without the complexities of the traditional ones while still having a sprawling open world to pick from? Personally speaking, I'll pick the second option. One last time, I want to stress that this was a very cynical look at Breath of the Wild in the same way that a lot of people are currently being very cynical towards Tears of the Kingdom. I still very much love the game, and at the end of the day, this point's just here for argument's sake, and to drive just a little bit of interaction in the comments. To be completely honest, I'm sure both can be remembered for completely different reasons. They are not mutually exclusive. Moving away from all of that negativity though, I also think Tears of the Kingdom is just very rewarding. Breath of the Wild was also very rewarding, like everything you do has a meaning. That's why it changed up open world game creation. But I think Tears of the Kingdom built on that to an unfathomable degree. Like, the game has some of the best side quests in the entire series in my opinion. Caves have bubble frogs, the entire point of the depths is to give you a gameplay loop that feels rewarding so you can upgrade your battery capacity, something we'll talk about later on. Randomly exploring the depths can net you amiibo items from Breath of the Wild, then exploring the Skylands can net you upgrades for your sage spirits. Even stuff that is nearly completely overlooked in Breath of the Wild is built upon tenfold in tiers down to its core identity. Do you remember fighting an enemy camp in the first game? It was cool, right? You'd get a diamond from the whole ordeal at best and you'd spend a few minutes clearing out a couple wooden platforms full of Bacoblins or Lizalfos. By Tears of the Kingdom's inherent nature, this is improved upon. First up, we have enemy camps transforming into whole-ass bases that have been usually set down by Bacoblins, Moblins, and Boss Bocos. You can save people from inside these bases, and by fighting enemies, you directly make your weapon better. Not by, like, fighting enemies and upgrading your sword like most games in this style, but you can literally upgrade your sword. If you have a decent base sword, go and fuse that silver moblin's head straight to it, and shabam, in the middle of the game, that improves your sword by so much that it's hilarious. And because of how much you can store in your inventory if you're finding Korok seeds, the amount of amazing swords you can have at all times can grow exponentially. The point here is that I think Tears of the Kingdom will be the game that really made everything you do feel amazing. It gives you that dopamine rush that's so often missed in open world games. Even in Elden Ring, a game that I and so many others adore now, you'll go into a cave and come out with something you just don't need. That problem doesn't even exist in Tears of the Kingdom's DNA. Next up is the most obvious one, and it's strange I've gone on for so long without even mentioning it. Ultra Hand and the abilities in Tears of the Kingdom in general. 
Unfortunately for me, I'm on Twitter quite a lot to keep up with the newest gaming news and to interact with the cooler people on the site, but upon the game's release, I think it was honestly kind of overwhelming to see the amount of industry professionals praising the game for having a physics engine that is ridiculously advanced. So on a broad spectrum, I could say that this game will be remembered for being a technical marvel for working on the Switch's hardware, but let's go beyond that. Let's say that the item set is astonishing and on a technological level is the most impressive part of this title tenfold. Somehow the least impressive ability is Ascend, and that is still super cool. Being able to jump out of a cave to the overworld in an instant, or going from the depths to the surface is legitimately one of the coolest things to do in Zelda history, in my opinion. It makes for some of the cooler side challenges too. Next we have Fuse, an ability that allows the game to feel as rewarding as we've already discussed and offers hundreds of ways to go about any combat scenario. They even weaponized materials like the rubies and different fruits that we always thought should have had a use in Breath of the Wild. Recall is up next and doesn't have to be explained, you can rewind time for certain objects. To me that is still insane, certain games have had you rewind time around you, but I've personally never played one where one single item can be sent back in time. That is an evolution of the idea of stasis in the best way. Then we have Ultra Hand, and some of the builds you can conjure with this thing are insane. I'll drop some things on screen right now that I've seen in the last few months that astound me. I wanted to be an engineer or architect growing up, I would have had nothing on these people, oh my lord. If nothing else, if somehow all other points in this video become null, this is the one that will be true, at least until another game attempts to do it. Building your own stuff like this is amazing and encourages you to be genuinely smart. This game will be remembered for its abilities for sure. As I mentioned, I do partake in Twitter, and while scripting this video, I asked you a simple question, the same one as in the title, what will Tears of the Kingdom be remembered for? Here are some of the replies I haven't mentioned and my thoughts. First up, we have JD, who will always remember the awe of dropping into the depths for the first time, and honestly, I understand this for sure. We'd seen snippets of the depths in the marketing, but I was sure it was just a bigger cave system than the ones we'd seen in the past, and no one really had an answer for what it could be, so when I first jumped into the depths, it's safe to say that it was more than a little surprising. The actual playability and content in the depths aside, that first moment and the music cue to go along with it is a standout moment for the entire series. I can definitely agree with that. Next we have a reply from someone who I'll leave anonymous, saying that it'll be remembered because it's shown us that Zelda has remained as vital as it has because direct sequels haven't been capitalised on in the past. And while I can understand this viewpoint to an extent because of the reuse of the world and stuff like that, I think I agree more so with Zelda Lore, who replies with what they need is better scenario planners and script writers, because I'm fairly certain that that original reply is probably referring more so to the story and the scenario that the story revolves around. A good reply to spice things up, but I don't quite agree on that one. And finally we have a nice reply from Grover Wimberly that I think ties things up very nicely in my eyes. A fantastic follow up to a fantastic game, and after all of this bickering about whether I think it's going to age nicely, better than Breath of the Wild or whatever, that's the be all and end all. As Zelda fans we were treated to two unforgettable experiences in a row on a technical and content related level. Personally speaking, I think Tears of the Kingdom will be remembered as one of the greatest entries in the series. It just might take a bit of time, with the one glaring problem being the lore and the story. But in the words of Martin McFly, I guess you guys aren't ready for that yet. 
but your kids are gonna love it. That's my take, and I think the game will age better the more that certain elements we want back in the series are implemented, because it'll remind us of a time where that stuff wasn't around for a while. Just like every other Zelda title minus an outlier or two, I think Tears of the Kingdom will be remembered as an unforgettable journey. These are the patrons and members of this channel, some GN, Thomas Drury, Wong are even cooler for being my top patron people, please subscribe for more weekly Zelda content and I will see you soon.